Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Twyla After Show podcast. I'm Neil Malonsaw. We have a full house here today. Kristen Oaks-White, Cassidy Tingle, Carl Wiggers, Monica Velasquez, and Avery Davidson are all joining me here today. And it's a special occasion. It is a special occasion. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's point out that Monica's not using a camera. She's yeah, actually she's got, got a, a microphone, microphone in her hand. I know. It feels weird. It's, it's, I have my camera here with me, though. I'm so glad you're here. It is a special occasion, not just because of that, but this week is the 40th anniversary of this week in Louisiana agriculture. It has been on the airways longer than The Simpsons. I was in high school. This is my 30th anniversary of my high school graduation, and it was on then. It was a brand new show. The Simpsons were on there. Twyla, 10 years before that. Who doesn't think about it that way? It's crazy. the, The thing that I keep bringing up in conversation, but... I don't point out in the show is there are only two people who are working on the show right now who were born whenever the show started. Ugh, I'm one of them. Yikes. Yeah, Talk you ticker. and I. Hmm? Talk ticker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A kid. Beating his cane. Y'all have gotten to see it progress unlike the rest of us. Yeah, we predate it by just a few years. and uh, You were watching it when you were a child, right? Um, I didn't watch it until I was a teenager. You did watch story. it as a teenager? Yeah. I remember seeing it whenever it came on because I used to, I don't know why, I was an early riser at one point in my life. And I am again now, but gosh, there was a, a one point where I would wake up really early because I wanted to watch cartoons. And uh, I was flipping channels and there was Mike Dana on the show. <laughs> um, Interesting. Because it showed on KATC and I grew up in New Iberia and so it aired on KATC. So I actually knew about it before I even went to work. At KANE Radio or KATC, and then uh, the rest, as they say, is history. I mean, I wasn't a, a weekly watcher of it because, I mean, at the time I was still in those formulative years where I was discovering Iron Maiden. But so, getting did you, up, did you really have to work that reference? I did, because sixth grade, buddy, sixth grade, <laughs> Power Slave. I remember when I got mm-hmm. that cassette, mm-hmm. life changer. Yeah, back that cassette. Then, I love Twyla, it. Uh, was Two guys on a stool with a microphone in hand and a blue, pl- plain blue background of just painted uh, sheetrock. Going really. through some very basic backgrounds and very basic uh, TV sets. Yeah. Well, Ca- and Cassidy's gotten to see all of this recently because she's mm-hmm. been doing our archiving, taking all the old tapes and converting them to digital. What? What have you seen change as you've progressed from <laughs> format to format? Uh, the way that it looks. The sure. things that they're made of. Like the legit. Legit, the set. The, the, What's it called? Yeah. Oh, the, yeah. Like, I'm talking about the show, though. When I you're know, watching but I'm just show, giving you a list of all of the things. Well, okay. All, um, uh, all the that's, things. That's an important point, because, I mean, for this generation, why would there be a physical product for video? Right. I mean, I worked so long. They don't long. utilize it on a physical product. They don't get CDs and friggin' VHS tapes. and that, They don't own any of that stuff. Every All their music, Spotify or uh, Apple Music Service, iTunes, you know, that Social sort of media thing. and YouTube right. now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that is, that's actually something we could actually discuss. Y'all, y'all two have gotten to see the mm-hmm. progression of using these mediums in this department to where now we're using everything on. I mean, we send our show out now via Dropbox links or yeah. just sending it. I mean, FTP file. Even whenever protocol. I came around, we were barely 
doing that. And now that's like the only way we send it out. You should have to stuff FedEx envelopes every oh day on Thursday. Gosh, that's right. <laughs> of what? CDs. C DV DVDs. No, DVDs and beta SP tapes, DV cam tapes, uh, mini DV tapes. Um, when and uh, when I started, there were still one three quarter inch tape. It yep. was NOE. Yep. But did y'all have like a it. mailing list? Like people paid? Yeah. No, no, no. They didn't pay. We paid. Right. So, so how did you know who to send it to? Well, because we knew the stations and we had, oh, we had the all stations y'all were sending right. it to? Yeah. Got so it, we would send it, the tapes it. to each of the stations every week. In fact, um, I'm probably going a little too much inside baseball here, but at one point we were sending, I think it was, 15 FedEx packages every week. Yep. And at that point, our shipping budget was fifteen to $17,000 a year. And if you missed, we had to get it all done by Thursday and out by a certain time. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, it, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. And if you missed it, we would do things like put the tapes on a Greyhound bus north louisiana to go to KNO. did y'all have to do it a week before the show would air or mm -hmm. oh no it was that same week no i would so they would air on that friday mm -hmm. yeah so i would i would we would shoot the show on wednesday i'd start editing wednesday night sometimes i'd stay till two o'clock in the morning come back in thursday morning finish it up and begin dubs so you had you when you record to videotape it's not like you can do it at a different speed you know, we can take, we can upload the show to some stations in 11 minutes. Less time than the show actually plays. Right. No, when you do a dub, it is 28 minutes, 30 seconds with, you know, the color bars at the front. So it's 32 minutes of tape recording. And I was rec able to record the first go round to that first go round. Then I was able to do three each go round after that. I spent three and a half hours every Thursday just dubbing tapes and then i had to get it to the fedex on airline before 6 p.m if i missed that i could go to the fedex on corsi by 7 p.m if i missed that i was driving around the state dropping off tapes to stations i'm yeah. so glad we've come past that it's it's so weird that that's now there's no part of that that's more efficient than what we do i mean now it just even if it's the same town, it takes more time to bring it physically to a station than it does to just re-upload it. Yeah, you said to bring it to that Pelican station. Well, yep. mm -hmm. we were doing that when I started doing yep. this. Hand, we'd hand deliver to WAFB and hand deliver to the Pelican B and to uh, Etel sometimes uh, and Cox, all because they're in Baton Rouge and we didn't want to pay the extra shipping. I mean... You were already talking about $17,000 a year in shipping. You try to save every place you can. And then I it, I got it down to where some were taking us on thumb drives. I was like, yes, I'm, you know, because what the other thing people don't realize is the beta cam tapes, those were $50 a pop. Mm. Okay. Um, <laughs> DV cam tapes were $25 to $50 a pop each tape. So now... Not only do I have $17,000 in shipping, I have $7,000 a year in tape budget just for the tapes I'm sending out. And every so often I'd call the stations and say, hey, could you please send me back the yeah, tapes? Yeah, we get boxes of tapes back. So those yeah. tapes in like that whole room, that's a lot of money in there? 
Well, when they were the new. Tapes. I mean, they're not. Well, worth... yeah, but y'all spend a lot of money. To... I didn't yes. even think about that. I'm yeah, buy each tape was about ones. fifty bucks. Yeah. So when you start to think about how much of a savings it is to go all digital and the efficiencies that go behind it, I mean, it's. It, it it's, dropped big time because each one of those tapes is a mechanical object. It has to be engineered. Whereas like a CD even is just a piece of plastic. Yeah. You, know, you the, can just, it's got some special things on it, but cranking them out doesn't take anything, especially blank ones. Yeah. And so uh, that was, Neil can tell you my first mission, whenever I came to work here in 2008, I said, we are getting off of tape. We are not going to shoot on tape anymore in the field. I'm going to, Try to get stations to take us some way other than tape. Mm-hmm. And that was that was and my goal. That was great. We've made it. Thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> Thank you for getting us there because I don't know if I would want to do that every Thursday. Oh, man. No, you I mean, definitely I do, I do. I do know for sure that I would not want to do that. I'm I, will, say I don't know. If I can share one more tape yep. story. Everybody's oh, going to be like, this old codger still talking about tape. They already are. Hurricane mm-hmm. Gustav. We lost power here at the Farm Bureau building, Mm -hmm. and the generator failed. Mm. So we had no way to get the show out the week the storm hit. And Mike Dana and I went and we stayed at Henry and Elaine Adolph's home in Napoleonville. And that's where we shot video of the storm, got our stories. We shot um, uh, an ISG out there uh, in studio guest segments of what ISG stands for, but we had no way to edit here. So I had gotten power back at my house. So we took all the computers and the tape machines to my house and edited everything there, called FedEx to see if they could come and pick it up. True story. Two hours after FedEx picked up the dubs that I made, having tape machines on the floor in my in my uh, dining room, power went out again. Didn't come back on for four days. Hmm. In your house? In my house. Mm. It's a Christmas miracle. It was. It was. It was a Gustav miracle. The Twyla miracle. <laughs> it was meant to be. It was meant to go out. That show had to go surprised. out. Well, yeah, it's just uh, it's just one of those things. You know, it's along with a lot of the other technology. Phone booths have disappeared. Telephone books mm. have disappeared. Mm-hmm. It's just so, so many things that are, are gone. This isn't totally Twyla related, but I mean, you've been here for now 25 years yeah. and we talk about that on the show, but right. the internet also came along. You started the, you started a website. I started you? the website. There's, you know, every year we do a staff outing for all of the staff of the Louisiana Farm Bureau and uh, the Federation side. And I remember the discussion about whether or not to bring the internet to the office. Mm. and a staff member who I won't name was against it. <laughs> and what now if, we all lose it every time we lose the internet. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Or if it's just going to, if it, we just have to reset the router or something, we're like, no. And everyone's job is dependent upon it. Right. I mean, in the whole building. Yeah. Know, that's how you get all of your information, get information out to others. Yeah. Yeah. So how did y'all do without the internet? Um, how did y'all do things without the internet? We not only didn't have internet, but we also didn't have cell phones at the time. Yeah. That's right. How did y'all talk? Carrier pigeon. <laughs> one. Funny. One, Wait, we, really? we did, um, go ahead. What were you going to say? 
I said, carrier pigeon. And she said, really? And I said, I don't know. Ask him. <laughs> Close. I mean, we, we dialed, there were every office had hardwired phones and you'd call people. And if they weren't there, then they weren't there. A lot of the times when I'd go out on shoots, I'd just show up. I just get out. If they didn't call. What if, if like an accident me. happened or something? Well, you died. I mean, that's, you, know, <laughs> you, you found, you found somebody mm-hmm. nearby whose phone you could borrow. You found right. a pay phone. Knocking but on people's You called doors. someone and they didn't answer. Then you, you were just. SOL. You were out of luck. Mm-hmm. So you found out on a six o'clock. Yeah. What? But people were much more inclined to answer their phones and answer doors when you'd knock on mm-hmm. them back. Back in those days. <laughs> yep. But uh, yeah, it was weird. I mean, and I remember every convention, the main source that we'd get everything out was by press releases, which we would mail snail mail to the I various just wrote press, a press release in my class. Yeah, that's and that's what we did. That was the primary source of communication. And so we had a thing in the studio where we'd line up a table and we'd just line up 17 press releases somewhere mm-hmm. in there. And a bunch of envelopes and a bunch of labels, and we would just go to town, you know. Oh, they were them. like printed. Yes. That's correct. Yeah. That's what I mean by snail mail. Yeah. Like there was no email. physical letter to a physical address with stamps. And we had to get them out a month ahead of time so that the press would notify people ahead of our convention. And that was the only communication. Wow. And if they threw it out, if they, they just didn't come. Or, I mean, we did call them too, but. Letters were much more important back then, and phones were much more important back then. I don't then. know how y'all functioned mm-hmm. without a phone. I mean, out in the field, you just, mm-hmm. you didn't, you, you, if you, if you needed to talk to somebody, you had to wait until either you showed up at their place, or you stopped somewhere and tried to call from a payphone, and hopefully they're at home. Right. How did y'all even set, like, shoot days with people? You call them ahead call of time and say, hey, can I go over tomorrow? But hmm. as you saw, a lot of the stories were much more simple. They were the yeah. same for one source, one location. Yeah, that's it. And there was the communication sources were to farmers so that they were interested in things like just the harvest or what was being done there. And oftentimes you could go like um, where there were clusters of farms, you could just go. And if one person wasn't home, you just go to the next one and the next one and until you found somebody. And think about, you know, at the time. Uh, commodity prices weren't as easy to get. They weren't as readily available. Um, a lot of the extension information not as e- readily available. And that's sort of the niche that Twyla filled early on. I mean, it's evolved since then, but back at the time, it really was a show by the Louisiana Farm Bureau to inform farmers and ranchers about right. what was going on in their profession. There was no smartphone to be able to pull up DTN and get the prices. Exactly. I mean, if you wanted to know about cattle prices, you had to wait until the weekend right, to see them released from Louisiana Department of Agriculture and Forestry and then shown on this week in Louisiana Agriculture. The only other place, and this was something else that Reg Wallace did, was with LPB, you had closed captioning. Mm Mm-hmm. LPB had multiple channels of closed captioning. And if you had a closed captioning TV set, you could choose which level of captioning you received. Reginald Wallace made a deal with LPB to show commodity prices on the second channel of closed captioning. 
So Louisiana Farm Bureau would provide commodity prices to LPB to put in the closed captioning of the second channel of of the CCTV. And so Shirley Vickers, the secretary who was here, would type them up every single day and put them out there. So they just scroll across people's TV hmm. there if they wanted it. One thing I was going to I want to point out, though, that Cassie's bringing up is that, like, the way our department functions and the things that we do here in mm-hmm. this department, Twyla being one of those things, looks, I mean, there's, it's unimaginable to do it as we do it today, mm-hmm. 40 years ago when this thing began. And think about the, I mean, could you imagine what Reg would say today, looking, looking at Twyla as it is, looking at this department as it's, it is? It's crazy. One of the things I was thinking about was you were asking, I mean, it, all of these are legitimate questions, Cassidy. You're asking how we communicated. One of the big communication tools was the car. I, I've never thought about it that way, but you didn't send a text. You didn't send an email. You didn't have any of that. You'd send yourself. And that was considered communication. Back what if then. they weren't expecting you? It didn't matter because they no, because they didn't expect a text or an email or anything like that beforehand. So you just go and show up. But what if they weren't there? You, you go on back. to the next one. You had, you had to be tenacious. But the other thing was, is that a lot of people like, like where Carl's from, it's a small town. Everybody knows one another. So, you know, Scott's not home. You'd go into town and say, hey, y'all just show up. You know where Scott Wiggers is? Oh, he's, you know, I saw him at the coffee shop. Go by there and see him. Oh, there he is. You know, you'd show up and. um, What's up? Right. Exactly. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Growing up, I remember being at Quality Farm every morning, and that's where all mm-hmm. the farmers met. Yeah, big seed and feed stores, mm-hmm. big time hangout for farmers. You wanted to find somebody, you just show up there and say, who wants to be on TV? Did y'all do that? Did you ever do that? Just walk into a place and say, <laughs> anybody want to be on TV today? Looking for second sources? Sure. <laughs> we, we did that. And we'd find other story ideas, mm-hmm. too. Because what would happen is, since they were all chatting, if you just spend time with just them and ask them how and they're quiet. doing, yeah. and say... They'd say, you know what you ought to do a story on, dot, dot, dot. That is and true. That still happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what time. you need to do a story on. Mm-hmm. Y'all ain't talked about this in a minute. Right. Mm-hmm. Which, for anybody listening out there, I mean, Welcome. we are not adverse <laughs> at all to having you tell us what stories you'd like to see. Welcome and do. feedback. Exactly. Hey, I want to talk about this. I know we've already gone for 20 minutes all just Whoa. talking about old, uh, old, old <laughs> medium. my day. Back in yeah. my days. I want to, I want to know how everybody, person, how everybody way. got to Twyla. I mean, I know y'all, I'm the last one hired, I guess, aside from Cassidy. I want to hear everybody's origin stories of how you found your way to, I say Twyla, to this department, the Farm Bureau to do this job. But I guess starting with the guy that's been here the longest, Neil, how did you find your way into this, this world? I was a MassCom graduate student in 1995. And the dean of the school had a class that was mandatory. And he came into class one day and said, "Um, there's a paid internship at the Louisiana Farm Bureau if anybody's interested. And I heard the word paid and I was interested. So I showed up and I called Mike, actually, uh, again, back before email and all that kind of stuff. And he said, uh, uh, he told me later he thought I was about six foot four and, you know, it was just some <laughs> so you had this, you had this voice. I called him like this and talked to him like this. Hi, I'm interested in the uh, <laughs> Jack Hamilton was the dean of the school. He totally gave me your number and said to give you a call. And Mike was the one handling the intern stuff for Reg because Reg by that time just he was on his way. Out. Who was the department at that point? 
uh, Mike Dana, Reginald Wild- Mike Dana was in charge of the newspaper and he was just doing TV stuff on the side. And Reg Wallace was the radio guy and David Langley was in charge of the TV and all of them did stuff. Reg hosted, Mike did stories. Uh, David took stuff from a lot of different um, uh, sources at that yeah. time. At- our, most of our show was. Yeah, at the time, USDA mm-hmm. would send videotapes with lots of USDA, stories. USDA, LSU, mm-hmm. all the beef councils and soybean councils and that sort of stuff. And he'd take all that stuff and put it on the show. Um, but Mike had a particular sympathy for me because we were both newspaper guys originally. And I had no interest in TV, no interest in radio. I showed up and they did all this multimedia stuff. And that's what the future was and i saw this golden opportunity to get trained in all this stuff because i remember a sign i don't know if it's still there it's in the offices at the manship school at lsu and it says here through these doors past the future leaders of the information age and that is the um that to me was a big signal that it wasn't just about newspapers anymore and thank god i got this and trained in multimedia and not just stuck with newspapers because right about that time newspapers were starting to go out of business so I'd, i learned tv i learned radio i had a fallacious resume and um by that time but uh mike trained me up and so he wanted me to take on his his goal at that time when i started reg was the department head he retired mike took over his vision was expansion and that was his big thing, expanding them different markets, expanded different things, tell different stories. And so that's where um, uh, why he hired me and Margaret Lisi, who was the graphic artist. For anybody that maybe not maybe did not hear, Cassidy did confirm yeah, she's a student at this school that Neil went to 25 years ago, 30 years ago, 25, 25, 25 mm-hmm. years ago. That. That sign is still there. Avery, you came along after Neil. Oh, yeah. Long after Neil. Long actually. after Neil. 15 years. I guess, is there, mm-hmm. any, is there any history gap to fill in there, Neil, from after you, before Avery came along? <sighs> worth, worth, <laughs> there's a lot of history there. I don't know how much we could actually say. <laughs> well, after that, Kerry Martin was hired to take over to do the radio stuff because Mike didn't want to be saddled to that. Mm-hmm. He later moved on to the... Um, a field service office in the uh in the northwest but um so i took over radio from there um i had uh david langley moved on um he'll be on the show this week you'll get to uh see him talk avery avery did an interview with him which was great um margaret lisi also moved on so we hired the next person after uh margaret lisi was lauren leblanc tom who is now famous as Flirty Girl, the who runs the boutique shops in New Orleans. Got you. And she started that business out of the back of her car after hours on... Um, while here, she was working here. While she was working here, while schlepping around three young children. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about somebody who had drive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not, mm-hmm. not much else, because she was just no time. Got mm-hmm. you. And then Bill Sherman came... Bill Sherman came in to do the TV stuff. And AJ that. Sabine came in... So AJ was right. hired before you? Yes. Yep. Actually, the AJ's hiring kind of coincides with my story. Um, so around 2003, um, I had 
contacted Mike for some story uh, dealing with agriculture. I was working at WAFB at the time as a uh, reporter videographer. Um, and I had been there since 1999. And so he and I started communicating. And then uh, I went fly off to, to Baghdad, do some stories there. And when I came back, um, I'm going to go into way too many personal details here, but, uh, per usual. Yeah. As I usually do, uh, there's nothing off limits. Um, so he invited me out to lunch. This was early 2004. Uh, probably it would have been February cause I came back in, uh, I think it was January 30th of 04. And we went to lunch and he and I were both going through a divorce at the same time. And so we sort of commiserated about that over lunch. And then he said, you know, I'd really like for you to come and work at the Farm Bureau. And I still had my crazy TV dreams and ideas. And I was like, thanks, but no thanks. You know, long story I, short, we poached him. Um, <laughs> and so I, he was like, well, do you know anyone else? And I said, well, I've been knowing Allison Jacques Sabine since I was in college. AJ Sabine. Why don't you talk to him? AJ and I worked together at KTC and then again at WAFB. And so Mike ended up hiring AJ at that time. So a couple years pass. Uh, Bill Sherman uh, announces that he's going to be moving to field services as well. So um, Mike and AJ both call me up. This would have been around 2006 and offer me to come over and be the producer of Twyla. And I'm like, okay, ah, I'm, I'm this TV thing. I'm still enjoying, you know, this, this regular TV thing. I turned it down again. Turned out, luckily I turned it down because Bill ended up staying for another two years. Then in 2008, Bill Sherman announced that he was going to work for Commissioner Mike Strain. Mike Dana came up to me and I, I jokingly say he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And it was just right time because here we are, March of 2008, right before the big crisis, the housing collapse. Um, I had just gotten engaged uh, for, the, for the second time uh, and was like, you know, yeah, this is the right time. This is the right thing. So third time was the charm, finally. But you were hired to come be the producer, the executive producer of Twyla? Yes, I was hired to be the executive producer of Twyla. My primary mission, aside from just doing the show, was to get us moved over to HD. Mm. Um, Thank in you. In fact, the, the set that we have now was brand new. I was the first person to light it uh, before I even came to work here. I think it was like two weeks before I started working here. I came in with a bunch of foam core and set up a bounce lighting all over that set because mm. it was shop lights and $150, <laughs> 500 watt incandescents that were hotter than Hades and mm -hmm. harsh as could be. So that can't, also can't be fire uh, safe. No, so inside like those that. things used to get like molten lead hot. I mean, they were just crazy. Mm -hmm. And, and so, I burned myself more than once on them. Yeah. So 
um, after, you know, what I was, I was here March of 08. I had the rest of that year to prepare, prepare things to go HD. We went to NAB in Las Vegas. Uh, and that's where I saw a bunch of cameras. I know I'm, I'm droning on and on. <laughs> I'll talk way too many details, but long story short, that was how I ended up here after Mike trying so you three were, times. You, you were executive producer and tasked with moving everything over to HD and also trying to get everything uh, from being shipped. Mm-hmm. All the show, shipping the show out like it was. So. Yes. And then <laughs> after I got things to where I had some stations taking us via a file, file transfer protocol, the, <laughs> the internet for the Federation was only, I think, a shared 10 megabit, megabits per second. So when I would upload the show on Thursdays, It'd I shut would down shut network. down the internet for everybody else in the building. I was the most hated person, and possibly still am, the most hated person in this building every Thursday. And then that brought along the push to finally get us to where we had a decent internet connection to where I didn't shut everybody down. <laughs> but again, the technology's also changed. Yes. And thank God. Yep. Yeah. Because, I mean, you got to think if payroll was having to be turned in on Thursday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, one of those is more important than the show. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Kristen, what about you? When did you start? I was living in a van down by the river. <laughs> and Yeah, well, that's going to be fine when you're living in a van. <laughs> Mike Dan, I walked river. by and threw some fish at me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a better origin story than Batman. How, how, oh, did you were you raised watching Twilight or, and knowing anything about it? I know you were raised in agriculture. Yeah, so I grew up on a farm, grew up showing cattle, and in college I had a double major in broadcast journalism and ag business. I had no idea what I thought I was going to do with that. I graduated. I was reporting traffic in the afternoons and working in a law office in the morning. And I was just happy doing that because it was, I was still living off mom and dad and hanging out, living in Baton Rouge, going out. Mom and dad were like, didn't know you graduated. This has to stop. <laughs> so they drug me to the Farm Bureau convention with them in 2009. And because dad was in Farm Bureau, he brings me up there. Doug Duty brings me to meet um, Mike Dana. He was like, well, you have, you know, you, you have experience doing TV agriculture hello perfect fit i meet mike and mike was like well i'm it's really nice to meet you but i'm not hiring i mean i don't have a spot so i was like that's the end of that then in january yeah january of that of 2010 that was when lauren tom's mm -hmm. flirty girl the who blew up mm -hmm. and when the saints won the super bowl yes i mean it was I think becoming very evident that or she had already left mm -hmm. to pursue her business. And Mike calls me and said, I have an opening and like, and what else could fit this? And at the time you were working for another yes. communications company doing, I thought that I wanted to do lobby, political lobbying. I thought that I wanted to do a lot of different things, <laughs> but, which is good for that age. Yeah. Why have you yourself? figured it out yet? Well, 11 years later. <laughs> <laughs> but 
That was not your first appearance on Twyla. Mm. That was not your no. introduction to Twyla. It was not. And Cassidy knows this. Oh, she, she might not know about anything else we're talking about, but she knows this. I was the farm. Uh, I was the farm. I was the Louisiana Cattlemen's Queen in 2004, and we did a beef month tour. And Bill Sherman interviewed me and the Cattlemen's president, which was actually Ellie Doeys, who was our intern a few years ago, her grandfather. Hmm. I did not know that. Was the Cattlemen's president. Mm-hmm. So your debut on Twyla was 2004? Yes, it was awful. <laughs> I'm sure it was great. Well, we'll have to find I that and dig it up. And we watched it a couple of years after I started here, but she probably watched it. Was it was terrible? Cassidy said your hair looked really that good. That was facetious. We don't have enough mic. We're gonna post that on our it. social media. Yeah. Despite what our social media manager, we'll wishes. put that in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> how it started? How's it going? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mo- Monica, that it's your was, turn. Yeah. That's it. Oh, there she is. Look yeah. at her. She hasn't changed. That's no. the other part. Just quit wearing the, the, the crown. Yeah, you still have great mm-hmm. hair. Why don't you wear the crown anymore, that, Kristen? No, she was making fun of my hair because no. it's got skunk scrapes. Oh, it was I didn't cool see then. That was in style. Right. None of us have the hair, the history of hair on this show that, <laughs> that you do, Neil. So <laughs> that weekend <laughs> is the devil. We can pull uh, some pictures and put them out there. Hey, knock yourself out. They're They've out been there. out there for a long, long time. They are out there. That is what we're going to do. How's it going? How did it start? How's it going? <laughs> Mine would be clean shaven to a beard. Lauren LeBlanc left and she was replaced by Valerie Foman. No. She no, was no, no. replaced by Kristen. Was, were you the graphic? No. 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 This, the, she did the My admin understanding, it. the position was split. So Val Foman was the graphic designer and then right. Kristen took over the broadcasting responsibilities. Right. That's what I'm saying is that yeah. the, the, the graphic artist position was. Yeah, Valerie because Foman. Valerie was actually here at the same time as Lauren Tom. Right. Because uh, Valerie was primarily working with insurance right. at the time. Yep. And so after Valerie left, that's when Monica came in. Right, Monica? Whole accident happened. <laughs> Tell us about that. Uh, I answered an advocate ad. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, totally rando. It, you were reading the newspaper? <laughs> it was It was actually an online ad. Oh, an online ad. No, okay, I was... Four, three months after graduating from Southeastern, I was just interviewing everywhere I could between Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Lafayette. I ended up here randomly. It really was just a random ad. And Mike emailed me back, said, hey, let's schedule an interview. And two and a half hours later, this is probably the job I wanted the most yeah. out of everything I interviewed for. And then two days later, he... <laughs> I was so mad at him after this because like, yeah, come back in. We want to talk. And after a 30 minute buildup, he offered me the job. Yeah. And my first task as the brand new hire who had no farm bureau background, no agriculture background, did not know what Twyla was, being honest, folks. Avery tasked me with rebranding the show. <laughs> and I had no idea how enormous of a task that was. Until we presented the logo at the board meeting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a big deal. The thing that you may know, you may not know, is that really Mike hired you. He was the decision maker, of course. But Valerie was the one that picked you. I know. There were a bunch of portfolios and uh, Mike had them all out. And he brought Valerie in and said, tell me which one's the best. Mm -hmm. That's how you got hired. I met everyone that applied for the position and like they were all spectacular and i 
really I was fresh out of college. I had really no business having this position. I really didn't. But she left her interview notes behind and I found them. Hmm. And so she wrote all the kind things that she wrote. I remember texting her about it and I was like, I'm pretty sure you did leave this behind. It's a very valuable thing to do. And it, it meant a lot to me. I still have it. That's sweet. Um, but now we work together. Val is now our contract graphic designer with me. And now we really work closer together. That's nice. I like Val. Val, as, as we'll, we'll fix to talk about it, I'm sure. But Val was kind of my introduction into Farm Bureau, into this department, at least. And I just freaking loved her. I love her. Who doesn't? She's yeah. just amazing. So I can imagine like getting to work with her closely like you do. Is Valerie is one of the few awesome. people. My grandmother was like this. I've never heard anyone say a single bad word about my maternal grandmother ever. I mean, I'd never met anybody who had nothing but glowing praise. Valerie is like that. Mm-hmm. She's the, one of the few other people that I know. And it's not that there aren't good people in the world. I'm just saying that that sort of sterling reputation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and aside from me, I mean, all you guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you your, whatever the voices in your head tell you. Right. <laughs> you got a lot of those. Exactly. Uh, well, okay. So tell Valerie was responsible for kind of both of you then. And, uh, <laughs> wow, that was loud. Uh, one, and a, one and a half. I'm, Let's give the I'm other half credit where credit is due. Goodness gracious, what was that? <laughs> edit that. So that was her cattleman's queen call. <laughs> <laughs> so I was call, actually calling that for a job for Carl. This is way before that. You didn't even know me yet. <laughs> You don't know me. You don't even know me. Mm-hmm. I was actually in a, not in school for a minute. I, I was in college age. I took, living went in to a, a van year, down by the river. Living mm-hmm. in a van. Dropping down out. Down by the river. Dropped out of college for, and I was out in that year. Really? My dad was like, um, this isn't going to no, fly. This no. isn't going to fly. There's life outside of what you're doing. And you were working I at. I was working at it. My at, church. At, well, were you working at Rayleigh Brothers at the time? I was working at quite a few places. I kept, instead of mm-hmm. school, I did like, you know, 60, 70 hours worth of work a week between two or three different jobs. Pretty All much in ag? For that, that year. No, I was working at my church. Right. Doing student ministry stuff and music. And then I was working at Rayleigh Brothers during the season, during like harvest season, working in the elevators. I was working at Hibbit Sports, you know, 20, 30 hours a week. Just... I was umpiring baseball. I was doing all these like hustle jobs and, and the farm during the summer with my dad, uh, still even after high school. And, uh, dad was like, Hey, this, you're doing a lot of this stuff. And some of the stuff I was doing at my church came, started doing media stuff, video announcement type things. And dad was kind of seeing some of that. And he's like, come down to Baton Rouge. And he like, dropped me off in Val's office and was like, hang out with her there. Y'all were filming the show and I got to kind of watch the show being filmed. And then Val was doing some graphic stuff and then up web updating websites. And I was seeing all the best of this department. And I was like, dang, that's kind of cool. You want to put a roofie in your drink. That's how you got here. Put a roofie <laughs> in my drink. And here I am still here now. But at the end of that week, uh, just kind of staying and shadowing kind of what was going on in the department, which I don't know how that was even like cool. I mean, that probably was really annoying to you guys. No, no. But I remember just being like, this is freaking cool. Thinking about like all the different possibilities. I kind of had the same appeal that you yeah. saw whenever you came mm-hmm. in in 95, being like all this different media, these all these different outlets, the multimedia aspect of this department and the reach. And I was like, man, there's 
everything we can we can do all kinds of different stuff in there and that's that was really appealing to me at the time i thought i liked graphic design more didn't realize how much of the video i would really enjoy long story short i go i'm getting ready to leave and mike sits me down and says look you've got the farm background you got the camera skills that you can develop because i think at the time i was doing announcements and i was also kind of doing a little dabbling in some wedding videography with a friend of mine and he said just go back to school get your degree and i mean you're made for this job and so i went home and i probably within the week was re-enrolled in school and back on that train and uh, a couple of years go by i get i need an internship credit for my curriculum i call up mike mike hooks me up with avery and i was sharing an office with you but mm. i think at the time whenever i first reached out to mike i don't think he realized how much of the video direction i was taking and i think he actually maybe thought it might be graphic design related he didn't know where i really wanted my internship but i remember kind of mm -hmm. gravitating to the video aspects whenever i got here well you hit the ground running i mean well, within I, I like a week months. you had done your first story i had that that was one of the things that we had talked about was i had two months it was just for the summer because i was still keeping my job at the church i was still living in winsboro pretty much um so i came down for the two months of summer so i could go back to school in the fall mm -hmm. and i knew i was like i had to take in everything i can i have to you know, contribute whatever i can and at the time you asked aj and i for critiques Man, and that boy was did you get them that was brutal i didn't know yeah, I don't remember really asking for critiques. I just remember bringing back something. Well, you got them. I got them for sure. I, bring, I remember and I bringing back up the pieces afterwards. <laughs> the critiques were Avery and AJ sitting next to each other. Everything's awful. Hitting You're space terrible. Bar. Every frame was crap. Mm -hmm. Every shot I took. Why? Why would you put that there? Nobody needs that. Oh, that's the same thing. Why'd you? Why'd you reuse this shot? Why are they backlit? Whatever. And I learned a ton in that. But then afterwards, I'd feel you know tiny as an ant. And Kristen would come back and be like, well, this is good. This is a good element. This is a good, this, this is good. And Neil, I don't remember. I remember you gave me Don't a good with critique your voice stuff. at the end. Mm -hmm. You worked my voice a lot, which is still crap. But it's come a long way. <laughs> it's come a long ways. I was just very flat in my delivery. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just, and probably doing some of that puking you were talking about earlier. No. Trying to sound broadcasty or mm -hmm. trying to whatever. But anyways, in my internship, I had to come a long ways because I only had a short period in here. So. I did that and fast forward to finishing school. Unfortunately, Mike passed away. Carrie Martin came back in the department and mm -hmm. had a spot to fill now soon after. And mm -hmm. Kristen has to get some credit here, I guess. And Avery and Neil, I think a few of y'all spoke up on my behalf and kind of threw my name in the hat, which mm -hmm. was really fortunate for me. Casting <laughs> had nothing to do with it. Um, Monica, I don't know if you said anything nice. Kristen's been very adamant that she was the one that gets all the credit. I brought for it. well, I brought your name up because you were such a great intern, and you 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 truly didn't. I don't even think you were doing the videography for the wedding stuff yet because you had very little video skills, but you picked it up, and there was nothing that you weren't willing to try. Right, yep. you learned from the critiques you got. It yeah. wasn't like we were telling you the same thing over and yeah. over and over again. I mean. Eventually, we got you. I think you might even remember me using this line. I said, I'm being nitpicky because you have all of the fundamentals down. And yeah. I know I'm being nitpicky, but you've got everything else down. That's why I'm being nitpicky. And you had also helped do 
in between that time between your internship, between my internship and getting the job, you were you would go out with me and you would help because you may not have had much camera skills before the internship, but you picked it up and you ran with it because you would come and help me do convention stories. Yes, and stuff. do yeah. shoot. I remember doing videos. a few of those for sure. I remember shooting a. Uh, I don't know what was it an ag minute or something in your backyard doing the uh, container oh, no, gardens no, or something yeah, like the, that. Yeah. I don't remember what that was for, but I remember doing a few things like that. Yeah, like you would just come. I kind of, I guess help, I did. Yeah. Doing that, I guess I kept kind of my foot in the door. But, anyways, yeah. it was just the spot was opened up once. Uh, it, it almost was just serendipitous. As soon as I kind of graduated college, it was kind of this was my first job out of college, my first real big boy job, I guess. And I always I felt bad. I, f- I felt bad for uh, I was twenty five years old, getting what I considered to be, I still do my dream job. Yeah. Like I get to work mm-hmm. with farmers. I get to work with all this cool tech and the multimedia stuff that I really enjoy. Like that's awesome. I get to be around the agriculture that mm-hmm. I was raised in yet not depend on that agriculture for my livelihood, which I saw the stress involved with that and, you know, dealing with markets and uh, weather and all that type of stuff. So it was like the best of both worlds. And it's just been, a really sweet gig it's been great having you two in particular Kristen and carl here and the reason is they were both raised on a farm mm-hmm. and so and i'll let you know that every chance i get i know you mm-hmm. do a- avery and i both came from outside i mean we both knew about yeah. agriculture and we're both passionate about our jobs as journalists really i think that's the way we sort of frame ourselves or mm-hmm. at least initially framed our career but for Kristen and carl it's so much more of a passion it's their Mm -hmm. lives it's you're talking about something that they live on and out there and they're they're passionate about that bring coming them in coming into this job really inspired me to really you know see that um in 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 what we do and how important it is what i've also always loved is the chemistry they've had yeah when working when both carl and Kristen are working together on a story it's going to have some magical element that you're not expecting it's the the finished product is better than the sum of its parts mm-hmm. you know it really is and i'm it's it's a combination of carl's eye Kristen's ability to to see people mm-hmm. uh and i've told her this before I, i've not met anyone who can read people better and faster yeah. than she does yeah and get their stories. It's a real testament to their generation. I mean, people dump on millennials all the time, but our millennials are just driven and passionate about what they do beyond anything. Yeah. I mean, Monica's recently redesigned the, did the design for the 40th anniversary. We're getting ready to unveil that. We're, we're selling merch now. Lincoln bio. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also, Monica's extremely passionate about graphic design. Absolutely. I've, I've seen her really blossom in going and finding other places to get inspiration, going Mm -hmm. and doing Creative South, doing a lot of things uh, within the design community to better her craft. Yeah, they're really uh, buttering up these millennials over here. Quiet, the adults are talking. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't see that in in everybody. And one of the things that I, I love about working here at Farm Bureau is if you want to better what you do, you have the resources, you have the backing, you have 
the support to do it, you know? Like start a podcast, maybe? Like start a podcast. Rebrand a TV show. We're here because (laughs) Carl has really pushed that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, you know, you and I were were riding earlier back from lunch, you know, Mm -hmm. talking about making an aim not to say no, to say yes. Right. Um, I try to do that as as best I can is, you know, the answer is yes. And mm-hmm. less, there's a compelling reason to Let's say no. Let's figure it out. Right? Well, that you said that on record, I'm going to have some questions for you after this. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you said yes. Yeah. I heard yes. That's right. a yes, but. Yes, but no. Yes, oh. but. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that was All very right. kind what y'all were just saying. So thank you. Well, thank just, you. I, whatever i know we've gone on just <laughs> real quick uh favorite twilight well, no, stories we haven't gotten oh, cassidy's yeah. origin story oh it's long <laughs> um great story yeah that's it i had no idea that this place was even up with farms at uh-huh. all i thought it was just an insurance company when i talked to someone about an internship and on my first day i walk in thinking everyone's supposed to be in business casual and they're wearing jeans and tennis shoes and I was like all right I'm overdressed and then they're talking in their little group meeting that they have all the time about Twyla and I thought it was the character off of Shit's Creek so I was like who is this chick I need to meet her she sounds important and then come to find out it's just an acronym for something with agriculture and I literally texted my mom and I was like these are agricultural people mom said huh and I was like exactly and mm-hmm. they all like both of them grew up on a farm and I like, nope, me, I did not do that. But I have never been so excited to come to a job before. Like I used to dread going to my other job and I would look forward to coming here, even though I didn't know exactly all that they did. I love these people. And so, yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you. I, You're welcome. Uh, I was in a similar boat. I didn't know a lot about agriculture when I first came here either. And so I, everything I, I learned was on the job, really. I have to drop another name in that, and it's that Ashley Stevens, who is our administrative assistant uh, to the president and assistant to the president, was the one who gave me your name and number. My mom's and, friends with her. Yes. And so uh, Ashley was like, you're, you're going to love her. And, and I was like, okay, we need an intern. I hope she's ready to do intern work. And I'm sorry. I'm so sorry that I've had to just give you a lot of intern work. It wasn't bad at all. I mean, especially (laughs) that I was able to just uh, put it in, put the little tape in and then let it run. And then I could go annoy Carl for the rest of the day until I need to switch the tapes out. That sounds like our jobs. Yeah. Mm. Except without the tapes. We just annoy Carl. Seeing things from her eyes has really been an invaluable perspective shift because there is a i mean there's even a generational difference between carl and Kristen and monica and cassidy mm-hmm. just like hearing it's, the questions right. you were talking about at the top of the show right. were i was used to it i mean i you know snail mail is not too new to me at all you know just showing up to someone's house but like the fact that you didn't actually think about that kind of route everything's I mean, digital for you now i had a cell phone at like six i mean that was only for like emergencies but I don't, never don't know life without a phone. Don't right. tell my son, Luke, he's eight and does not no. have a phone. I'm not giving him Give that kid a phone. All right. So <laughs> what is your favorite story that you've seen on Twilight so far? And don't pick my horse story because that's Kristen's. I like that one. I also like the one that when you're in the car with the bees that we just watched. I like that blooper. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the yellow jackets where you got stung six times and you were like, I'm okay. And, and then, then you called in sick. Yeah. AJ <laughs> did one with bees, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't. I just like the bee ones. I think those are just funny because y'all are like getting stung. 
Well, <laughs> I, yeah, AJ got stung on the nose uh-huh. when he was with Randy Fair. She enjoys yeah. your pain, is what yeah. she's saying. That's, I, I don't, I'm used to it, especially from this one, Kristen. Monica, mm-hmm. tell me your favorite story that you've seen. Oh. We're going to go in reverse order here. Uh, Actually, I should have asked Carl, but go ahead, ladies first. Well, go ahead. Go ahead and ask Carl, because I need to think about this one. Favorite story I've done or favorite story we've done on the show? Whatever. Either one. Um, Probably your favorite story. One of mine that stands out in my head is one of the first ones I did. And in fact, it, I'm going all the way back to my internship. Mm-hmm. We talked about the progression in that couple of months of growth. And I remember being so pumped about it. I spent a lot of time on it, but it was a story I did in Winsboro uh, right after Al Ader had bought, uh, purchased the new, the Winsboro elevator and put a lot of money into it to, you know, improvements. And I was in, in Winsboro. So I just did a story on that. And I remember applying a lot of these different things. And I remember being so proud of it. And you sat me down. That was my last week of my internship. One, the ad lib portion on set was with Mike Dana. It was the only time I was ever on set with Mike. And two, you sat down with me after the that week and said, look, this story shows you took all this information. And it was one of those, I remember there's a lot of the stuff I did in my internship, Vosots and just stuff that were just terrible. And I'm just like, Ugh. And even this one by my standards mm-hmm. with my stories today would be garbage, I like to think. But it was one of those first stories where I was like, excited to show somebody so mm-hmm. i think my story from the elevator that's one of the ones that stands out in my head even though it was an internship story and it that's great that, that's one that stands out in my head being that was a positive experience for me i guess one of my first stories i was proud of monica come up with one yet i came up with two okay uh all of the reporting for duties mm-hmm. i mean that's that that came two. up those were funny. That started right after i had started and mm-hmm. i that was honestly my first exposure to learning about agriculture but probably my favorite video overall uh the one Kristen did the process mm-hmm. that's been that was such a beautiful video not only from the messaging but to the visual standpoints i remember sharing that with just about everyone i knew thank you it was such a fantastic video uh, that was a video of poem you wrote right did you write that those i, I didn't think about those but those pretty much every convention video is almost mm-hmm. worth yeah. saying like I forgot yeah. about the reporting for duty ones. Gosh, those are so those good. Are hilarious. I, mean, I hope y'all are going to try that again. One of these without days. me. We keep yeah. saying threatening to, and I guess you know, just, we just got to make it happen. Oh, look! I at mean, that. now's the time that we got to make it happen. Make it happen. Cassidy just volunteered. Cassidy's going to just go report for duty. Yeah, on all of our baths. Yes, I can. That would be, and we're going a to film it. Train wreck. Well, but makes we, a great video though. We need Cassidy. Like, <gasps> yeah, at a dairy, yeah, dairy. Mm, yeah. She had the such a great time, ex- exactly. The experience. last time I went on a dairy farm, it was a blast. Yeah, well, this will be a blast. Uh, Kristen, <laughs> your favorite, the moonshine. Mm. Yeah, oh, just just because that was. What were the chances that we found the first legal moonshiner in the country mm-hmm. in Virginia, and he was every, everything that came out of his mouth was. It was gold. Yes. Yeah, you got to make sure you get the heads and tails off the alcohol. Otherwise, yeah, he, those he the parts pretty much cut it down. Yeah, it's not like the moonshine like you drink out of a mason jar. It was more like it was, vodka. It was white corn whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. And he got it down to what, 80 proof? Yes. That's what he got his down to. And he even talked us through his water filtration system. UV light. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but he was also a farmer. 
Yeah. So that was what was. But he was also just 100% character. Yes. Yep. Just a great character. It looked like a fun shoot to be on. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it Avery was. shot it. She, she got smashed. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I, for the longest, I had your ringtone as, ready to ride the lightning. Say it. Say it. Ready to ride the lightning. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. What's your favorite story, Avery? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, That's a tough one. Um, And it's tough because there are so many great stories that we've done in terms of the international trips um i've i've got to say julie baxter's story from turkey is mm-hmm. one of my my favorites in that even though it was not an agriculture story it was the story of the human situation in Syria before everybody else in the country turned their attention there. Oh, that was yep. true. Bef- a year before everybody else started talking about the crisis in Syria and before Bashar Assad became a household name, it was on this week in Louisiana agriculture. And, and we she, were not figuratively, we were literally on the border of Syria. I mean, where, we were standing on the edge of a river and on the other banks was Syria. And we saw a refugee camp set up by the Red Crescent and got video of that. We interviewed a man in, in a van on the, the side river. of the road who was scared for his life and had watched as people were told to do horrible things to their own relatives while having guns to their heads. We shot that in the van, by the way. They pulled the curtains. They had curtains in the van. And so nobody, nobody, we didn't get out of the van. He came in and left un, without ever us getting in or out. So nobody could see what was going on. That story right there spoke to the fact that Mike Dana saw beyond mm-hmm. what the scope of this show could be. And that Julie Baxter was able to get the story even being removed from television news as she had been. Um, and I know I'm going into a very hard news place, but I mean, gosh, I'm a hard news guy. I've always been. Um, so let me lighten it up. Um, my favorite story that I've done was one that came about as sort of a happen chance. Um, I was looking to do a shrimping story while we were in New Orleans, and this is the early days when I still actually liked Twitter, Um, and Lauren Tom and I tweeted, hey, do you know anybody who's selling shrimp in New Orleans? And we got a tweet back saying that there's a guy over, I'm trying to remember what road he was on, might have been Carrollton, and we went out there, and here's this guy who is dangling shrimp from a... (laughs) from a fishing line in front of cars trying to get people to stop to buy his shrimp. So I mic him up and I just let him do his thing. I get shot to him from the side of the road, cars going by. I interview him while he's, you know, fishing for sales. Yeah. I mean, it was fishing for customers and it was, it, it wrote itself. And it was all about the low prices that they shrimpers were getting 
for their shrimp. And he was like, listen, you know, if if people would pay what what I, the, what they're worth, I wouldn't have to be here fishing for customers. I could be out fishing for more yeah. shrimp. And that's why they started that shrimp lot in West Wego for yeah. the same reasons. Back in the 70s, they were getting a third of what they should have been getting. And so they started their own thing. And so we talk about the stories don't change that much over the years. Mm-hmm. In the 70s, that was the case. Right. Here we are in yeah. the 2000s, that was the case. But that's probably my favorite story that I've ever done here because it of the organic way in which it came about. And God, he was just such a great character. character. I mean, wow. he was singing the whole time he was there fishing for customers. So I used some of that and that yeah. sound because, I'm like I said, I mic'd him up and just let him go. And that's that's the best kind of stories. And we shot the whole thing in about 45 minutes. Not bad. Yeah, it's good stuff. I have seen that me story, of, but I want to check it out. Reminds me of the one Lauren did on the, the cucumber man who sold all the vegetables in New Orleans and he'd sing. No, that uh, wasn't Lauren. Yeah, Taylor Fry. Okay. Well, yeah, sorry. Mr. Okra. Right, yeah. Mr. Okra. God rest it. his soul. Yep, yep. Your so, turn. Uh, thinking about it here, I've included a lot of them in my package for this week. And uh, generally speaking, I love stories that I know make a difference, that I know can have that that impact later down the road that's either timely or you know has some uh emotional connection to the viewers so one i really liked the black bear story that i did early on and it was because it was so different from any of the ag stories that i'd been doing and i was also like branching out in terms of a videography you have to remember i was a print guy i had no experience (laughs) with a camera that sort of thing so just a small detail in that story was I caught her on because I had uh, Shauna Ginger was the the bear expert and um, uh, I had her mic'd up. So she blows a sl- tranquil tranquilizer dart into the bear and you hear her, you know, blow it. And so I really spiked the mic on that. So I got that gnat sound in there. of doing. And it was just that stands out as a really cool moment, not the least of which is the bear. I mean, we got pictures of the cubs and pictures of the bear on that. And it was just great filming that. Um, The second story was me in Japan and the first time in 2003. And the reason was nobody had done international stories before then. Um, And um, Mike was my mentor. Mike and I went out on a lot of stories and shoots, and he was the one who was my critiquer and my you know, both in writing and videography and that sort of thing and helped me through a lot of that stuff. And this was the first time that I think I really showed him what I was really capable of because he didn't know what I was bringing back. I had a little handy cam kind of thing that I'd taken over there, the noisy cricket, as we call it. <laughs> and um, uh, I watched him watch the video and it was so exotic you know, and so different from anything that had been on the show previously, especially since I did that stand up under the Tori gates that uh, in the mm-hmm. park there in Chiba, uh, east of Tokyo. And so um, uh, he he edited it together, um, but uh, he was just, you know, seeing that was just great to have him, you know, to show him uh, this was going to be what he really wanted. And that was what you had alluded to earlier, his vision of expansion and of, you know, mm-hmm. showing different things and changing. That was part of it to show that that international flair. I did a connection, by the way, to Zeno Grain, which is still in operation there. I interviewed their their folks there in, in Tokyo. And then finally, the the story that really just stands out in my mind, it was a moment last year uh, south of Lake Charles in Oak Grove. 
where Leslie Griffith, a war veteran who owns 1,600 acres of uh, cow pens or cattle fields down there, um, all his fences were down after Laura. His home was demolished. There were pieces of the brick 20 feet up in the trees from his house. Um, and uh, he had been through Betsy, showed me the tree where he rode it out when it came ashore. And I was standing there filming. He was just talking about everything uh, that he had done in Vietnam. He was a medic. He was one of the few people who had dual uh, certifications from from over there, both being in the Marines and in the Army. He was only one of two people, I think, that was that was there. And then while we were filming, we were with an NRCS guy who was an Army veteran of Iraq and Afghanistan. I think Afghanistan. And he found uh, Leslie's dog tags. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forgot about that. And so I caught that moment right live as it happened and him bringing over and Leslie just choking up. And, you know, you could see the impact. You could see the, the emotion that that brought up. And that was just being there witness, bearing witness to that was just an amazing thing because it was just the the scene of absolute carnage. And both of them described it as a war zone. And then to have this metal come out of the the destruction and have that moment of grace amongst so much horror was just amazing and it was true empathy because they were both veterans knew what that meant knew what it was to find that Mm -hmm. and especially considering how much was lost yeah one of the things i mean you bring this up and you mentioned it earlier with Kristen, like brian ever really pull these stories from farmers and not in a coercive way, but just in a journalistic way. But you mentioned this. That's one of the cool things about this job is these farmers that allow us onto their farms, into their no lives, doubt. really allow us into pretty intimate space in yeah. some cases where they are really just bearing their souls. And that's one of the, the best parts about this job I is agree. getting to kind of share. And it's an honor in, in many, many cases to tell these stories. And it's like, I mean, I know we get so attached to some of these stories. I know that one was one for you. Yeah. I know we've all had those stories where we're just like, we can't separate ourselves from like every soundbite. Like that's got to go in there and and trying to find the best way to tell that story because it matters to us. And that's one of the cool things is getting to do that at this job. And I know that's something that Kristen knows all too well is just there's too much good usually that we come back to the office with there there are stories we come back with like i hope i can find enough to make a story (laughs) but more times than not it's man how am i going to fit all All this this gold there's so much you don't see that goes behind these stories even the quote-unquote ordinary stories that are just grain harvest or bringing that stuff in you're you don't ask a farmer how they're doing you ask them how their commodity prices are you ask them how the weather's been Mm -hmm. that's their answer to that is how they're doing as Mm -hmm. a human being what I like is the the quality time we get to spend with them. Yeah. Well, I was thinking of the same thing. I went and shot a story with Alan McLean, and he was like, man, look, we're in a bad field right now. So in waiting for him to get out of that bad, <laughs> ugly field with a lot of red rice, and he was not really happy about it, I just rode in combine with him for a couple mm-hmm. hours and just caught up on life. And it was like, that. that's that quality of time. It's just hard to beat. And I don't know. I just, they are particular little creatures about what you show and yeah, don't show. Oh, we are in the PR business. Too. <laughs> That's a sad point. Let's wrap it up. I want to thank everybody for, for uh, sharing their stories and their uh, origins and their favorite stories. It's been a great story. 
I hope the show is as fun for you guys as it was for us. On behalf of Avery, Monica, Carl, Cassidy, and Kristen, thank you all for joining us. I'm Neil Malonso, and we'll see you next time. Bye. If you can, subscribe to us on your favorite place to get podcasts. Also, leave us a review wherever you're listening, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play, and let us know what you think about the show. Reviews are great, but sharing is how you show that you're caring. So bring (laughs) your mother in, bring your sister in, share this podcast with them, let them know that you enjoy listening to the Twyla After Show. And don't forget this podcast is produced by the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. 